shout out to Chillhop Music for creating the pen pause little thing uh, to write postcards for everybody in the community. I uh, wrote some to places in Germany, Belgium, Canada, and uh, two in the US, so that was extremely fun. And reaffirms the fact that my handwriting is terrible. In the words of Public Edit, Chuck D, bring the noise. From the Fifth Element Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week. We are nearing closer and closer to the holiday period. Really, in when is the holiday period? When 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 does it start? You know, like is it is it is it on like the twenty fourth? Because obviously that's Christmas Eve. Or like, what what what's the period? You know, what I mean, when is it? Is it the whole of December? Is that the holiday period? You know. I, I, it's just a random question I just had, I just had, but, um, yeah, so, holiday period is, I guess, here, <laughs> depending on how you see it, and, uh, yeah, man, I mean, obviously, this is going to be the last episode until Christmas, until after, it's the last episode before Christmas, so, uh, and then, obviously, the next episode is going to be on Boxing Day, so, just to get ahead, I guess, I uh, hope you've hope you all have a great uh, holidays, uh, Christmas, or whatever you celebrate, uh, depending on your, I don't even want to say religion, because, because <laughs> Christmas ain't even, like, that even Christian anymore, it's just, like, it's just, it's just a thing you do, you know what I mean, it's not even, I, I, nobody, nobody, nobody I know, like, goes to church and actually, like, you know, does some hymns, like, at midnight, you know what I mean, it's not even like that anymore for me, but, um, yeah, it's just that it's just that thing you do where like uh you know your parents are off work and uh, you know you do some do some present giving and uh, and make some good food. But other than that, uh, obviously you know happy holidays and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, but uh, in the past week's been well, we're going to talk about the past week, aren't we? <laughs> in many ways, more than one. But uh, yeah, for me personally, it's been okay. Uh, it, obviously the last week was uh, like I said last episode. It's kind of the one I was like. A lot of stuff was happening, and I think I've gotten through it pretty well. And you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm very happy about that. So, uh, you know, I, I cannot complain at this point in time. Uh, you know, it's just, just waiting on the, just waiting on the year to end. Just trying to get this uh, stuff to write done. Uh, I've done the songs list is ready done. EP list I finished last night, and I've already started on the album list. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't. I haven't figured out. A place to drop them yet um i don't know if i'm gonna do it before christmas or after christmas it might might most likely be after christmas but um either way i'll let you guys know on the on the socials and all that but yeah uh what else is there to talk about uh yeah obviously did those uh postcards that i just have mentioned postcards um yeah germany needs to switch up their names man i've i've i was i took about 10 minutes no, 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 ten minutes. I took about five minutes, like just spelling out. I, I don't even want to say it, but it's, it was a long ass word. Then there was that wiggly, that wiggly b that they have that was in there. I was just, oh my god. I, I think I wrote quite well actually. That wiggly b, but uh, yeah, still, it's just, it's not it, chief. It's not it. Like I, I, I'm not here for it. I'm not here to sweat like that. <laughs> it's crazy, but um, you know, I've, it, it, you you barely realize once you write something like a postcard, right? I've realised that I rarely handwrite anymore, unless it's like to sign something. I rarely handwrite anymore, and I'm low-key happy about that because my handwriting sucks and I hate looking at my handwriting. But even with that said, it's just weird that I've, that I don't even handwrite anymore. Like the last time I did it properly was probably like to write down some notes during uni, and you know, that's just most of the, I'm I'd, I'm I, you know writing on a um, writing on a keyboard. You know, or um, typing on a keyboard uh, is a is a is a real blessing. It's a real privilege, honestly, because I, I don't know what I'd be doing if I had to write everything out. That would be just an absolute trek and a half. My days, I wouldn't be writing. Trust me, I would not be writing <laughs> if I didn't have a keyboard with me. Our oh, days, but anyway, uh, we shall get into the show. Four minutes before we begin, we have the email, we have the Twitter, we have the IG. 
you also have the Facebook as well. Uh, we also have the Discord, of course, for the 5e community, um, trying to get us started up. And a little bit of 5e news, we're going to podcast number four, is going to be announced sometime in the next uh, week or so. I don't know when, have uh, figured out a specific date for, for it, but uh, we're going to we're gonna sort that out. And uh, once it's announced, yeah, we'll be into, <laughs> I'll be going into the new year with four podcasts under my umbrella. And that is a blessing and a half. Cannot be happy about that. But anyway, with that said, speaking of this particular podcast, we still have a job to do. Let's get some stuff done. Let's get some talks out of the way. And we might as well begin with the inevitable. But with that said, before that, let the beat drop and let's get into the show. In a week where Mesut Ozil criticises China over their treatment of vegan Muslims and Arsenal unsurprisingly backpedal. And uh, as of this recording, as of today, as of this recording, uh, Wednesday the 18th, um, Pez, Pro-Evolution Sport, has, uh, Pro-Evolution Soccer, sorry, has um, uh, cut off Mesut Ozil <laughs> as a playable, uh, uh, I guess, character uh, on the game, which is just... Just, just why? <laughs> so, just uh, an addition in the long line of, uh, of, uh, uh, addition to the long list of, uh, China being like a petty 14 year old with way too much power. Uh, Taylor Swift is headlining Glastonbury. Um, I think it's, 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 it's interesting. I said this on Digging Digits, but, um, I'll say it again. This is just a, another reason for why I do not buy tickets to something that I don't know what's going to happen. And this is basically one of the... This is basically it. Like, you know, it, why do you buy? Why Why would you buy a dig into Glastonbury when you don't know the lineup? Why? There's no point in that. Don't talk to me about a festival experience. There's no, no, no. I will, I will happily experience it. I would love to experience it with a lineup I actually have interest in. There are so many people that have probably sold their t- <laughs> put their tickets on resale because Taylor Swift is <laughs> what a what a joke. Uh, ben Stokes beats uh, Lewis Hamilton and Dean Rashid Smith to become Sports Personality of the Year 2019. Now, I feel like you know if I was going to talk about this um, fully, um, if I was going to you know if I'm going to talk about it fully for Hamilton and Dean Rashid Smith, I should really be you know. Um, I should have really like uh, put the time in to talk about Ben Stokes, but I didn't want it, so I decided that if I'm if Ben Stokes wins, I'm not going to talk about it, and if even if Lewis and Dean uh, won, I, was, I wasn't going to talk about it uh, length, at length. Um, so I was just going to be just you know being being a bipartisan in that way. So uh, good good for me, pound the back. Um, yeah, I knew it was going to be Ben Stokes. It was a lock. It was so obvious it was going to be Ben Stokes. Um, you know just. I don't know, don't know what having to be the goat of your sport and the future goat of your sport um has has any more apparently second and third place of sports personality. So and uh, lastly Farron Sherrick uh, beats Ted Evitz to become the first woman to win a world world dance championship match. Now, I haven't watched darts in a while. It's been a few years since I've been into darts. Uh, I was into darts like early in the decade, but I've I've, I've gone off it. Um but that's a that's a good thing. It's a real good it's a real good moment. Uh, for women stars especially, um, there have been, I think there's been a few women that have been uh, in the world da- world dance championship before. Um, I guess they just have never won a game yet, and uh, this is one of the and this is the moment that has finally happened. So, uh, uh, big up Farron Sherrick, she's only like 25, so you know, <laughs> the only way is the only way is up. And knowing you know darts, you can you can play that shit till you till you, till, you, till, you, till your arm falls off pretty much. So you know, <laughs> so it's only the beginning on that front. But anyway. So we begin with life, and obviously, if you're in the UK, the one thing that has been and gone in the past week has been the general election. So, I have been, I, honestly, I've gotten all my venting out, um, I got my venting out in the past, in the days afterwards, after the vote, to be honest, so I'm not really, uh, I don't really have any hot takes to give, in it, and it's not going to, um, as you can hear, I'm not going to really sound impassioned about it all, um, to be honest, I'm very pessimistic at the moment, but, you know, I don't want to project that too much, um, 
apart from the tone of my voice, which I'm hearing right now, but <laughs> for past that, I don't really want to, like, uh, just, you know, just uh, ring the bell and say the end is nigh. It's not going to be like that, but it was interesting, actually, because uh, the day after, the day after, admittedly, I felt like shit, to be honest, um, at that on the, on the night everything was getting counted up by I was staying up to do some writing and um, and I went to bed about 5am and obviously the result was pretty much locked in by then obviously not officially officially but um, but you know according to the exit polls everything's official at that point but um, yeah obviously once stuff was counted and uh, the majority was short, uh, sorted out uh, kind of just um, I, I couldn't really I couldn't really focus on anything else. Obviously, I was doing writing, but every on the top of every hour, I was just like checking like live feeds um, to see where everything where how all the chips fell basically. But yeah, once I got to bed, I was just like I don't know. I just I went to bed feeling crap to be honest. And but the next day, I went out to I was I went out to my um, high street local high street. Had an appointment, and um, you know, it was it's one of those moments where like you have to see it for what it is. And in that moment, I was just obviously looking at everyone else, and you know, obviously, this isn't V for Vendetta, you know, what I mean? <laughs> this is ain't Watchmen, you know, what I mean, it's like not no one's gonna nobody's gonna riot after this kind of stuff, you know, we're not we're not those kind of we're not. I don't think we're built for that anymore. We're not um, that violent when it comes to um, politics um, these days, especially in the UK anywhere. I don't don't want to say about any other countries, but in the UK it's kind of just like, you know, just just wake up in the morning basically and just keep calm and moving on and all that garbage, right? And and that's how I felt. Um, By the end of the day, I was just like, I went to, you know, I had my appointment, I went to McDonald's, chatted to my boy Dave about it, um, we chatted for about an hour about, you know, everything that happened and just, I don't know, other, other stuff, um, you know, just other chat, chit chat. And, um, you know, I left, I left town just feeling, you know, just, you know, it's done, move on, really. So those are my, those are true what the general thoughts I had. Obviously, I can speak about the whole thing and analyse, but I don't really want to, to be completely honest. Um, there are plenty of think pieces out there plenty of thing pieces out there fuck me there's been so many but um you know other than that it's just how it is and you know like i said life goes on i guess uh for some and uh but yeah you know i'm not obviously i like to talk about politics when i can but i don't want to talk about it every single week because there's life past politics um but in this case i, w- I do want to just mention it a little bit and the article i'm going to reference here is not about the not about the parties per, per se, but I wanted to talk about more about the media because I felt like that was, and I think in the future, will be something that needs to be rectified. Um, and the article will kind of explain some of my thoughts and uh, affirm some of those thoughts. Um, so I won't get into it specifically, but yeah, I feel like. The media and how we how we've all consumed uh, the how we consume the election over the past month was very interesting and very telling of you know kind of guessing what was going to happen to be honest. But um, obviously that's not a matter of it's not a matter of you know predicting. It's just a matter of how people get their news and get their information and. Uh, <clears throat> and I kind of, I think I said that a couple of weeks ago, actually, about, like, how, you know, we all, people obviously watch the debate, certain people watch the debates because that's all they have, and I watched it personally, and I was just like, I've I've, I've, I've heard all this rhetoric before, but obviously, for some people, that might have been the first time they ever saw, ever heard their rhetoric, so, uh, you know, it's just how people have different ways of consuming. But anyway, let's get into this article specifically. As by Jim Waterson, media editor of The Guardian. That's uh, what we learned about the media this election, right? So let's get into it. Uh, was it uh, was it the media that lost it? Uh, this gen- the general election has uh, seen an unpar- unparalleled level of criticism of British journalism. A Prime Minister who showed it was possible to skip through tough interviews without suffering at the ballot box. In an online campaign, 
that pushed the limits of what was previously considered acceptable in UK politics. The aftermath has seen Jeremy Corbyn partly blame the still powerful Sun and Daily Mail for his defeat, despite the plummeting print circulations of uh, national newspapers. At the same time, the Conservatives have turned their fire on the media and are threatening to decriminalise the licence fee, potentially severely, severely undermining the BBC, and look at other ways of changing uh, the way the UK operates. Here's what we learned this election campaign. The first one, age defines what media voters consume. I think this is why I kind of hinted at a few weeks ago. While audiences of 20-somethings have largely abandoned television news altogether, BBC bulletins remain important for reaching older viewers who are more likely to back the Tories. And while print, print newspaper sales are collapsing and online news audiences growing, right-wing tabloids which relentlessly back conservatives still sell millions of copies a day and often indirectly help to set the agenda on television, radio and online. Although it will be months before the academic studies drill down into the results, there remains a simple demographic divide on how people across the political spectrum get their news. Quote, one of the clearest differences is that most of the le- uh, most of those on the left prefer to get news online, and most of those on, on the right prefer to get it offline, unquote, said Dr. Richard Fletcher of University of Oxford's Reuters Institute. There will undoubtedly be questions about the influence of online media on the election result in the coming weeks, and we should take these questions seriously, but to correctly understand the impact of online media on the election result, we must constantly remind ourselves that the people most likely to have voted Conservative in 2019 are the most likely to have uh, to have access news about the election online. So the second one is, the British public were more than capable of creating their own disinformation. This is something I actually highly noticed um, throughout the few weeks and just like really put me off um, going on Facebook specifically, but... Um, you know, it's just uh, it's, it's, it's applicable everywhere else. Ahead of the election, there were concerns about foreign manipulation manipulation of the electoral process. Although there were some issues, the Prime Minister refused to let uh, a report into Russian money be released pre-election, and Reddit suggested a Russian-linked account may have helped distribute leaked US-UK trade papers. Ordinary politicised Britons proved more than capable of creating their own fake posts. When the Tory campaign was briefly derailed by a photograph of a child on the floor in Leeds, uh, uh, floor of Leeds General Infirmary, a viral message spread among Conservative backers that the image had been faked by Labour supporters. Aided by a toxic mix of uh, falling trust in the traditional media outlets and Facebook's hands, hands-off approach to con- uh, content moderation, the hoax message was uh, spread to millions of people aided by a promotion from mainstream journalists and influencers such as former crick- England cricketer Kevin Peterson. Some of the behaviour of those sharing the message, often older, less tech-savvy Facebook users, was, was so strange that they were mistaken for coordinated bot farms. In reality, it appears they were just copy and paste in the same message of enthusiasm and desire and a desire to believe the photo was faked for political reasons. See, this is kind of something that I have, that I think, I think personally for me, it puts me off of looking at these kind of things, unless they're actually from a genuine source, and you can actually, you know, um, what's the word, uh, break down where that source come from and actually, you know, trace it back. When I just see, like, a regular photo where it's, like, someone's face and then it just has, quote, this, 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 and this, and there's just, like, no source, no nothing, and, so that, and then it has, obviously, the message at the bottom in all caps going, don't do what this person says, or, like, you know, don't vote for this person, I'm just like, yeah, sure, but where did you get it from, you know, and I think, I, I personally question that on both sides of the aisle, I don't see a Labour po- uh, Labour meme, and I'm just like, oh yeah, that's fact, and I'm like, no, you have to, you can't be, you can't be that, like I said, you can't be football team about it, you can't be just like, oh yeah, that's true, yeah, uh, yeah, that dickhead, you know, it's just like, what, what, and it's not even about uh, misinformation, it's also about just stuff that, may, that makes no, no, has no bearing on anything, like chatting about uh, Diane Abbott's shoes, I'm like, and a, and a, and a, uh, someone I know posted it on Facebook. I was like, "What the fuck are you posting her shoes about for?" 
What does that have to do with anything? You know, it's just, it's not even misinformation, but it's just dumb shit. It makes no, has no bearing on anything in, uh, about the election. It makes no sense to me. But anyway, moving on. We are becoming passive consumers of news on our phones. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I said it. There you go. That's the, that's the next one. There's nothing new about the idea of a political leader winning an election by repeating a slogan until they're blue in the face. But the experience of consuming news on a smartphone, where headlines drift into view via push alert notifications from news apps on Facebook and through links sent by friends, means that it's often the only way to cut through the noise. There is limited space for, uh, for nuanced policy platforms and complicated offers to, elect, to the electorate if people are not concentrating. It's easier to adopt a policy of endless screaming and bombard them with the same message such as get the exit done. Excuse me. There are, uh, though, through as many different channels as possible. While it might be a case of borrowed nostalgia to pretend that people ever really engage with every news story they saw on television or in a print newspaper, online data makes it easier to show how widespread this behaviour has become. When the Guardian ran an experiment to record the smartphone screens of volunteers, we found that some people consumed their news almost entirely through headlines, few click through uh, to the full article, and those that read to the end of a piece were a rarity. Yeah, I mean, I've been... I've I've suffered from this a lot, you know, I see I get a notification and I just, you know, see it and I have a, you know, you just either react to it in, you re, you react to it in some particular way, whether it's anger or just like, oh, that's an, oh, that's a shame, you know, someone died, oh, that's a shame, you know, you don't, sometimes I don't feel like there's a need to go read it into more because, you know, it doesn't really, I don't really care that much, but yeah, for, especially when I go on like, you know, Twitter or, um, well especially Twitter actually when I go on Twitter and I see like a headline and then someone comments on it you know it's 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 kind of the same as seeing the um uh seeing the picture and just like having someone's face plastered on it plastered on it and then just a random quote and then all caps don't do this per- what this person is doing or don't vote this person in and you don't even you don't even you just take it at face value it's the exact same it's the exact same thing but even even more so with a particular article, if someone shares that, and obviously you just see the headline, and you're just like, oh, okay, let me react off that one headline. You know, not everything is, is as cut and dry as, you know, Taylor Swift is headlining Glastonbury. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not, it's not, it's not as cut, not everything is as cut and dry as that. You don't need to look into that anymore. You know, it's Taylor Swift headlining Glastonbury. <laughs> you, you know, you know everything about that. Yeah, unless unless you want to know how much he's getting paid, and, and you know, I don't know where you can find that. But exactly, but you know, that's what I'm, that's the point I'm making. You know, sometimes it's just a headline, and that's all you need. But most of, most of the time, you uh, well, not you, people, including myself, sometimes see an article, they see the headline, and we just you know move on. We we don't take its face value. If I respond to something, I try to actually read the thing first, um, but, you know, admittedly, it doesn't always happen. <laughs> you, know, you just Sometimes you just see something and you're like, oh, immediate reaction, must need jerk tweet about this, you know, everyone, everyone does that. Anyway, continuing on, attacking the media is the new normal, but mistakes can be quickly called out. Now, I'm not going to read this one because um, it's kind of just uh, cut and dry and obviously we can talk about that particular part um, in, other, in other arenas. And... Uh, the last couple, I'm just going to read the the headlines of it. <laughs> uh, we don't know what people were reading online and what had an impact, and I think that's a great shout because obviously they uh, they mentioned obviously how uh, people obviously used to read the newspapers, and that is an easy thing to track in terms of how much they've sold every week or whatever, or daily whatever. You you can't really do that when it comes to you know social media. You don't know what people are consuming unless you unless you try and find what they're following or who they're following, whether it's, you know, a certain news organisation or a certain person or, you know, influencer, quote-unquote. I hate... Why did I say influencer? I hate, I hate that term. You know, opinion leaders, there you go. I'll say that. That's more official. But, yeah, you people don't... You, you can't really track that kind of thing. And, you know, I don't know what you guys read. I don't know what you guys consume on a daily basis. It might be completely different to me. It probably is completely different to me. Um, but anyway, and there's also uh, online advertising changed, and obviously we've uh, that's been long talked about, especially with Facebook and Twitter. 
and uh, mainstream media set the agenda, but his power has been hit. And uh, they'll see references, uh, Johnson, uh, Boris Johnson basically ducking Andrew Neil uh, interview, which is which is kind of just, uh, you know, kind of a masterstroke for really being real about it, you know, how they, you know, he could have easily just been, just gone into that. And uh, he, he, could, he could, but it was, it was much more just logical. And I guess, you know, considering the fact that they won, you know, it was a kind of a gamble to completely ditch the BBC on that front instead and t- and take what you know take whatever hits the BBC want to give on that front of uh, oh he's ducky and he's diving and uh, instead of actually going for the interview and having all of the clips of him blubbering about not being able to answer questions getting questions wrong or you know fucking up basically and have that all circulate around everywhere you know it's just uh, it's just uh, on that point it was a gamble and clearly it paid off but anyway um so that's it and I just wanted to kind of bring that to attention of how I guess uh, the media has uh, I guess t- helped you know decide it um, and to say that you know journalism is dead and all that kind of stuff clearly isn't because there's still some power in this kind of stuff and uh, especially in now social media outlets and they have a certain amount of power um, you can also um, you can also talk about um, uh, you can also talk about um uh, what's it, uh, you know, like, Facebook, and, um, Myanmar, if you want to, if you want to talk about that kind of thing, of how news was spread throughout Myanmar, and they, um, you know, and how all that went down, I don't really want to get into details about that, but, uh, you know, that's, that's genuine power right there, you know, he, they influenced a country of people to do, to do, uh, what they did, basically, I don't want to, don't want to get into details about that, but, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's genuine power, and it and it happens everywhere. It's not just our elections. Every it's every day, every minute. Um, so I think that's something we always need to be cognizant about. But anyway, you know, like I said, didn't want to get into the election too much. Didn't want to analyze. Didn't want to critique. It is what it is. Um, we know what has to be done after uh, after now. And uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to do what everyone I saw the day after was doing and just keep it moving, then keep it moving. If you want to do something about it, do something about it. It's up to you. But, um, you know, life goes on, I guess. So we move on to... Which one to pick? They're both not fun. (laughs) Uh, let's, get, let's move on to sports and uh, Serie A, uh, which is obviously Italian uh, football, uh, football um, top football league. Um, so I was going to put this in a week where, but I felt like this, I, I just can't let it slide because it's just absolutely fucking stupid and I felt like it just deserved more. So for those that don't know... Um, Italy's racist. Um, <laughs> for, the, for those that didn't know, Italy is uh, really racist um, and uh, really bigoted. Uh, you know, I think I think the I think the one thing I've noticed in this past decade is that you know stereotypes about some countries have uh, one thing good about social media, I guess, is that there are the 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 stereotypes about countries have been you know knocked down a little you know at the start of the year at the start of the decade like you know if we're talking about other countries you know and the stereotypes right australia shrimp on the barbie and all that yeah (laughs) you know right you know um uh u.s I mean, they're kind of the same, dumbasses, I'm joking, um, <laughs> you know, US obviously has a lot of uh, stereotypes, and um, some of them are perpetuated, but in terms of, like, how it's, uh, how we've consumed media now, and how films are coming out now, and how TV shows are coming out now, in terms of just, like, creative, um, uh, creative outlook and creative um, direction, it's becoming a lot different. Um, and I think for the UK, it's, it's changed a little bit. It's not just like, you know, we all have bad teeth and stiff upper lips and all that. 
I think we're. I think it's becoming increasingly more known around the around the world that the UK sucks in a lot of ways. And uh, in the case of Italy, for me personally, I don't see it as you know the you know leaning tower of Pisa and uh, you know and funny funny ways of speaking, <laughs> and uh, that that thing with the the thing with the fingers. I don't know. I don't, what do you call it? What do you call it when like you 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 know you? It looks like you're holding a puppet and you're holding it up, but what? What is what is that? I don't even know what you call it. But yeah, it's not just that anymore, right? I've just re- I've just realised over the past year that just Italy's just like horribly racist, <laughs> just horrible, horribly racist. Actually, man. But um, case in point, they're not just um, it seems they're not just racist, but they're also just absolutely crazy. They're just absolutely crazy and ignorant. Super ignorant, actually, amazing levels of ignorant. Like Doctor Manhattan, you know, uh, uh, atomic levels of ignorant. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? They just put in that lab, and they were just like pumped full of ignorant. Um, anyway, so let's get into this cycle myself. You, you guys have heard this before. Uh, you, you've seen it. You've seen it on social media, surely. Um, so, Syria anti-racism uh, artwork featuring monkeys condemned as a sick joke. So let's get into this. This is by uh, Neil McVeigh um, via The Guardian. And let's get into it. Siri R has received widespread con- condemnation after artwork for anti-racism campaign comprised three paintings of monkeys. The three works were created by Simone Fugazotto Fugazot- um, and will be on permanent display at the League's headquarters in Milan. The League said the images are intended to, quote, spread the values of integration multiculturalism and brotherhood, unquote. Of course. Uh, the anti-discrimination uh, group FAIR tweeted, quote, uh, Once again, Italian football leaves the world speechless. In a country where in which the authorities fail to deal with racism week after week, hashtag Serie R have launched a campaign that looks like a sick joke, unquote. Italian football has been blighted by monkey chants and other inc- incidents of racist abuse this season, with uh, Brescia, 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 um, Brescia's uh, Mario Balotelli and Internation Inter Milan. I'm not going to say the whole name. Internationale. Um, Romelu Lukaku among players targeted. Chelsea player Anita Asante tweeted, "Siri, R, you guys need to have a good look at yourselves. What is wrong with you? How many looked at this commissioned artwork and signed off on this? Fantastic to see Siri R anti-racism campaign posters." Yes, it's really real, tweeted the former England's forward Dan Collymore. Maybe get the mas- mascots to black up uh, as a finishing touch, unquote. And I've seen the new project, the Serie A chief executive, Luigi De Servio. De Servio? I don't know why I'm struggling with Italian names. De Servio? There's an I in there, and it's Servio. Servio. I don't know. I, I, I don't know why. I'm, I'm really not trying to put this on, I can't say it, <laughs> I'm trying to be literal with it, but I don't know, football is a, an extraordinary tool for conveying positive messages, fair play and tolerance, Simone's paintings fully reflect these values and will remain on show in our headquarters, aren't quite, okay, uh, Fugazotto said the work was intended to show, <laughs> god damn, this is actually bad, this quote is crazy, okay, are you sitting down for this one? This one. This was absolutely peak ignorance. <clears throat> we are complex and fascinating creatures that we can be happy, sad or happy, Catholics, Muslims or Buddhists, but that, after all, our actions determine who we are, not the colour of the skin. I only paint monkeys as a metaphor for human beings. We turn the concept back on the racists as we are all monkeys originally. So I painted a Western monkey, an Asian monkey, and a black monkey. Unquote. Ah, so much wrong with that particular sentences, but we'll carry on. We'll get to it in a bit. The artist added he was inspired after... No, 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 no. Oh, God. The artist added he was inspired after the Napoli centre-back... Kalidou Koulibaly was subjected to racist abuse into last season. I got so angry that dot dot dot, I got an idea, Fugazato said. Why not stop censoring the word monkey in football, 
but turn the concept around and say instead ah, that in the end we're all apes. The, the, the hole is like seven foot deep right now. Unbelievable. The artworks are the latest questionable response, uh, response in Italy to repeated calls to clamp down on racial abuse. Two weeks ago, the Italian newspaper Corriere dello Sport uh, was criticised for using the headline oh, you know, Black Friday on its front page alongside images of Lukaku and Roma's Chris Smalling. Roma and Milan banned reports from the publication until the end of the year, which led the newspaper to describe its treatment as lynching. Oh, good. Of all the words to pick, lynching. Perfect. Perfection. All the words in the dictionary you could have picked, you picked lynching as a response to you being banned from those particular clubs. Oh, fucking hell. The Brescia chairman, Massimo Salino, attracted criticism in November for saying Balotelli, quote, is black and working to whiten himself, unquote. In September, the TV pundit Luciano Passerani, uh, uh, yeah, Passerani was sacked after saying that the only way to stop Lukaku was to, quote, quote give him 10 bananas to eat, unquote. Last month, all 20 Serie A clubs signed an open letter that called on, quote, all those who love Italian football, unquote, to, re- to unite to try to eradicate a serious problem of racism. As part of the new initiative, every top fight club has put forward a player to join the league's new anti-racism team. Uh, Koulibaly will represent Napoli with other noble names, including uh, Blaise Matuidi, Juventus, Kempris Boateng, Fiorentina, Joaquin, Correa, Vlasio and Jovino of Parma. Oh my days. This is absolutely... This is the most toxic article I have ever read and the fun and this is what I'm do you see what I mean guys when I talk about how fucking ignorant these people are they don't even clock the things wrong with what they're doing throw him 10 bananas to eat yeah wow oh oh I need to I feel like I need to have a shower after that that's disgustingly ignorant Okay, um, so I don't know if I need to explain um, the, the the quotes about, um, you know, we are all apes and, uh, and, you know, stuff like that, because clearly Italy hasn't been given that education on, you know, um, semiotics and, um, you know, how, how we connote certain things to other things. Um, to, 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 to do the, to do monkeys is, uh, just the biggest L you could have possibly taken, I will say that, um, just to put it simply, I'm rubbing the temples in my head right now because I just want to keep calm and just not, like, blow up at this because it's just the stupidest shit I've ever heard and I just feel really stupid just reading all that, but yes, um, the absolute ignorance in this article I've just read is actually astounding, and, um, yeah, I feel like, um, I feel like taking a few shots, to be honest, just to cleanse my head, but, um, you guys, um, I hope you guys know, you know, the problems with all of these quotes, um, if you don't, hit me up, and I'll happily explain them to you, because, after all, I'm down for educating people on what the fuck's wrong with all this shit, um, you know, the fact that you're asking is a good thing. Um, you're not being ignorant like those. You're actually want you're actually wanting to know why this is a problem. And and you know, I don't hate you for that. That's cool. that's cool. If you don't understand, you know, go find out or ask me, and I'll explain to you. That's fine. But yeah, the 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 the, the stupidity here and the ignorance and the attempt is just absolutely piss poor on all sides, and, um, yeah, I would hate to be a black footballer in Italy, fucking hell, I thought it was bad here, Jesus H, that is absolutely, it's the dumbest shit I've ever read this year, and I've read some dumb shit this year, (laughs) alright, let's move on, because, uh, yeah, actually, I'm gonna go take some shots, but, you won't hear that, (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, I'm back from the kitchen. I've taken a couple shots and I feel a bit better now. So let's, talk, let's, let's uh, get to the second life topic and um, I want to talk about Windrush again because I feel like I'm beginning to see a new Windrush related story nearly every day now and I don't like the fact that that's happening right now. Um, obviously I've, I've, I've talked about a few stories, you know, about the base story, especially the base story about um, obviously uh, the Windrush scandal a few months ago. And, you know, still going, case in point of the article I'm about to read, but, um, uh, it's, um, it's something that has obviously grown in stature in terms of how much of a problem it's become. So, I wanted to read this just to, um, um, I guess show that, you know, it's still going on. And it's actually gotten worse in the past few months. So, uh, this is called uh, Three Generations of Windrush Family Struggling to Prove They Are British. This is by a a media gentleman uh, of The Guardian. Shout out to her for this. Um, So, let's get into it. Let's just jump in. Because it's just uh, amazing. It's uh, uh, not in a good way. Uh, three generations of, win- of one Windrush, Windrush-descended family are struggling to prove that they are British in a protracted fight uh, for documentation which has left a London-born woman facing homelessness with her two-year-old son. Courtney Lawrence, 25, was den- denied emergency housing in May because officials said she needed to show a passport to prove she was eligible for council support, de- despite the fact that she was born in the UK and has never left the country. As a result of this refusal, she was forced to sofa surf with her son for five months. She has subsequently been given emergency accommodation accommodation in a travel lodge hotel. Both her parents arrived in the UK from the Caribbean as small children more than half a century ago and have never formally naturalised as British citizens. They did not realise that their immigration status was uncertain until their daughter told them she was having difficulty getting council support. The citizenship of Courtney's son, Cason, uh, Cassian, sorry, um, also born in London, is now also in question. The family's difficulties reveal the complex problems still being experienced by many Windrush descendants 18 months after the government apologised and had promised to, quote, do right by those affected by the Home Office scandal. Courtney's father, Joseph, has uh, a retired uh, construction work, uh, worker, arrived in the UK from Jamaica in 1957 when he was three and has lived in England for the past 63 years. Her mother, Jenny St. Rose, a former special needs teaching assistant, came in 1969, aged five, from St. Lucia and has not left Britain in the past 50 years. Since both Jamaica and St. Lucia were British colonies when they left, they travelled as British subjects on citizens, on citizens of the UK and colonies' passports. Uh, Courtney was born in London 1994. Until April, she and her parents had not realised that there was any problem with their immigration status. Uh, or do you, just a side note, do you say status or status? I've jumped between the two. But anyway, continuing on. Uh, they had all watched the news about the Windrush scandal in April 2018, but did not think that they might be affected by the government's mistreatment of thousands of Commonwealth-born citizens who were wrongly classified as illegal immigrants, despite uh, being legally resident, uh, resident in the UK. Quote, I was very aware of it, but I didn't think for a second that it would, affect, it would affect me, Courtney said. She was shocked when officials in the Newham Council Housing Department questioned whether she was British. Uh, she showed her birth certificate and a national insurance number to officials, which was what she had always uh, shown prospective employers, but was told that this was not enough to prove that she was British and that she would need to bring her mother's and father's passports in order to prove her eligibility. Neither parent has a British British passport. Quote, they said the Home Office has said uh, that you're not British. They said they wouldn't help me until I could prove I was British. It upset me. I was born here. I haven't left the country. I've done good good jobs here and this has never arisen. Corney, who has also who has worked as a teaching assistant in nurseries and as a sales assistant said this has made me depressed. I feel like I don't know who I am. Courtney, uh, Courtney should be recognised as a British citizen, citizen 
since she was born in the UK to British citizens, but because neither parent is currently able to prove their status as uh, British citizens, I struggle saying citizens, I don't know why, has, uh, she has struggled to persuade officials to uh, believe her. Since tra- uh, changes to nationality legislation uh, in yeah uh, in 1983, just being born in the UK is not enough to make someone British. Uh, one or both parents must be British or have settled in status in the UK. There are believed to be tens of thousands of children who were born here who were not automatically British at birth. Many of them do not realise they have any immigration issues until adulthood, when they have difficulties accessing student loans or housing support. As a result of the council's decision to refuse her emergency housing, she had nowhere to stay. Quote, I made it clear to them I was homeless. Unquote. Uh, the council offered to refer her case to child services, but she was worried that, the, that this could result in her child being removed. It sounded like they were offering uh, services for my child and not for me. Uh, unquote. Even when she presented officials with a letter explaining that she was affected by the winner scandal, staff still refused to believe that she was eligible for support. The council changed its position in October and gave Corny and her son an emergency room in a travel lodge hotel. She's delighted to have a room, although points out that being housed in a hotel means it's only possible to cook things while, uh, which can be heated up with boiling water from a kettle, packet soup, noodles, uh, etc., and that the space is not appropriate for a two-year-old. She's more concerned about the passport problems facing her son if her own immigration difficulties are not resolved. Uh, just continuing on from the article itself to the end of it. Uh, the Home Office said staff would not routinely comment on individual cases. Newham Councillor Charlene McLean uh, said staff would be given more training to help them assess the eligibility of Windrush cases as a result of the Lawrence family experiences, experience. Uh, quote, I am embarrassed this has happened and apologise to Miss Lawrence on behalf of the Mayor of Newham and the Council, she said. We are hugely proud of all our migrant communities and that is why an important motion was passed last year to ensure the Windrush generation and their relatives would be fully supported by the council with all policies and procedures reviewed to reflect this. I am sorry this did not happen in this case. Although officers followed the law with regards to this particular case, this is not in line with usual procedure, and more action could have been taken to check this resident's uh, UK citizenships. The council is now in the process of moving Corny Lawrence into a flat. So, you know, that's just a severely um, depressing story, firstly. Um, The fact that, you know, it's one thing to... It's one thing to, like, go for the parents, you know, in the fact that, obviously, they weren't... they, They obviously changed the law in the 80s, and if you were obviously here as part of the Windrush generation and, um, you know, and all all the grandparents from those, uh, from, the, from that era that came here from, you know, at, the, at those times, colonies, right? And now independent countries in their own, right? Um, you know, it could, it could be, it could be, there could be, you know, a, a that's, that's one thing, right? But to have, to, have, to give the same problems to their descendants to her daughter to their daughter and now who was born in london and now their son two-year-old uh, her two-year-old son who was also born in london that doesn't make sense that it doesn't make sense to me um if you if you have a birth certificate and you know she was born in the uk and has been a uk resident and you know if she doesn't have a passport that clearly states that she hasn't been out of the country so she's been in the uk all of this time why would it be a problem now yeah you know i mean why why would that be a problem now um you know my boy my boy david actually um had to obviously had to uh register as a British citizen and lucky for him he you know he's he's good now and he has his British passport and all that because formerly he was you know officially Jamaican and um you know that could have easily just gone totally awry for him um well in one case he had it, had, it did go awry because he couldn't get student finance and had to basically quit university um he's back in university now a uh, different place but you know some it's you know that could <laughs> could have been way worse it really could have been way worse and that's just one case that's just a, a case i can speak about second hand 
Um, I hope he's fine with me talking about it. But, um, you know, that's just a second-hand account. Um, this is just absolutely on another level. The fact she was born here. <laughs> you know, she was born here. She hasn't been out of the country. There shouldn't be any qualms about this. But for some reason, there is. You know, it's just, uh, it's just disappointing. And the fact that this whole scandal is still going on. You know, in one in one vein, I'm happy that these stories are being told, but the amount of stories that are being told on a daily, weekly basis is actually crazy to think about, and um, you know, should be, in my mind, the real high priority, especially when it comes to the Home Office. I don't want the Home Office talking about it, and talking about anything else other than this, to be honest, because this is a, that's that's an important part of British history in the past. 80 years and now it's just being swept under the rug and you know going on this case by case basis and you know the Newham Council talking about oh we love our we love our you know immigrant immigrant citizens da, da, da. she's not an immigrant first of all she's not she was born here so you know you know if you're talking about the parents and sure but you know you're talking about the you're talking about the daughter she's not an immigrant so, you know, it's just, um, it's just sad, it's disappointing, um, but I feel like I should, uh, I feel, I feel like, you know, shouting out at least, at least one story, um, about it before, before, before the year ends, because, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it sucks, it has to go into the new decade like this for, you know, for now, not even just Windrush, um, for not even just original Windrush, um, people, now it's their descendants as well that's taking that's taking shit. Just a bit disappointing and needs to be sorted out to be honest. So we move on to the last uh, topic of today of this episode and uh, we're going to talk about film film TV and uh, specifically film in the 2010s and uh, I found this little article that uh, basically talks about uh, the how film has changed in the 2010s and how you know this could have this could be you know this you know when we, when we look back at this decade we look back at it as in, t- in terms of film we look back here as uh, the decade that changed cinema you know and changed film forever basically so uh and that, and that case can be made so this particular article is by um, uh, Nicholas Barber of uh, BBC Culture and uh, he looks back at uh, some key moments, um, just overall moments, not like particular films, but he does he does reference some films. Uh, but just like the whole, but just looks more look, looks more um, like a zoomed out scope, basically. So uh, so let's get into it. Let's have a look. It used to be so simple. If you wanted to see a film, you went to the cinema and watched some actors delivering their lines on a meticulously constructed set. Now though, maybe the set doesn't exist except on a computer screen. Maybe the actors don't exist either. As for the cinema, why go there when you can catch a brand new big budget Hollywood movie on TV or your phone instead? The film industry has been shaken up more the uh, more in the 2010s than in almost any other decade, and the shockwaves haven't subsided. It's difficult to say whether cinema will be will even be around at the end of the 2020s. Jeez, think about that. Imagine that. God, that might be a possibility to be honest. And uh, and what form it will take if it is. But there is a good chance that by 2030, a digital avatar of Marlon Brando will have starred as Spider-Man in an interactive virtual reality adventure beamed de- directly into a corner of your brain owned by Netflix. Still, let's not worry about the next decade just yet. Let's remember how the revolution- how revolutionary uh, this decade was with our 10-point guide to film of the 2010s. Uh, streaming goes mainstream. Obviously, it's a it's a good start. Uh, hard as it may be to believe, Netflix didn't launch its streaming service until 2010, and it didn't uh, produce a film of its own until Beasts of No Nation until uh, in 2015. Since then, Netflix and Amazon may have prioritised quantity over quality, but both companies have been responsible for some of the decade's finest releases. Amazon was behind Manchester by the Sea, You Were Never Really Here, and Cold War. Netflix can lay claim to Roma, Marriage Story, and The Irishman. Not everyone approves. Can Film Festival refuse to let films into its competition unless they have a proper run at cinemas, uh, in cinemas? And there are uh, those of us who still insist on buying DVDs and Blu-rays, even if we're running out of room to store them. You know, I, I've 
I don't know, the last time I bought a DVD, and I never got into Blu-ray. I never did. I once, I, I, I just never got into it. I never got into Blu-ray, and uh, you know, I was barely into DVDs to be honest. Um, I was just like watching stuff on my TV. I had Sky. I was, I was, I was tight. I was good. I had Sky Plus. I was, I was balling. <laughs> I didn't really need DVDs personally. Um, but yeah, that's uh, obviously we talked about the Cannes Film Festival. I think last year, or or or, or, or during this year, definitely during this year. But um, I've mentioned it a few times. But yeah, that's uh, that's definitely. That's definitely the the vibe. That's definitely the vibe now. Uh, virtual reality bias. Computer generated uh, generated imagery, oh, CGI. Uh, maybe nothing new, but the extent to which is being used is certainly is certainly is. Uh, in the last year alone, we have had a DH Samuel Jackson in Captain Marvel, DH Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator Dark Fate, and a DH Will Smith in Gemini Man, and a DH uh, Robert De Niro in The Irishman. Before that, we had a digital Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher in Rogue One. Now we have the nauseating prospect of a digital James Dean in a forthcoming Vietnam War drama. We talked about that a few weeks ago. If you want to go to that episode, go listen to that, because that was a very fascinating thing to talk about for me personally. Uh, other technological advances include the phenomenally high frame rate in the Hobbit trilogy and Gemini Man, and the development of virtual reality. VR now has its own competition strand at a Venice Film Festival. If you're afraid that we're all now living in the Matrix, don't forget that Sean Baker's Tangerine was shot using three iPhones. So 21st century technology can sometimes be used to capture reality instead of replacing it. Next one is From Here to Diversity. When Ridley Scott was casting 2014 biblical epic Exodus Gods and Kings, he decided that the ideal people to play a group of ancient Egyptians would be Christian Bell, Joel Edgerton, Sigourney Weaver, and Aaron Paul. When it was pointed out that none of them looked especially Egyptian, Scott argued to Variety, quote, I can't mount a film with this budget and say that my lead actor is Mohammed so-and-so from such-and-such. I'm, not go- I'm, not- <laughs> I'm just not going to get financed. And that would have been a tragedy, wouldn't it? Imagine if Exodus Gods and Kings hadn't been financed. <laughs> I talked about this on What's Good when it was a student radio show. Uh, shout out to Radio Sonar. And yeah, I shat on that shit. I shat on that. I hated that. Absolutely despicable piece of shit. Unbelievable. Um, Scott was uh, sticking to Hollywood tradition of whitewashing, but he had fallen uh, behind the times. The lack of diversity in the 2015 Oscar nominations prompted the Oscar So White campaign. Ghost in a Shell was condemned uh, for casting Scarlett Johansson in the role which originated in Japan, and Disney was careful to choose actors of Polynesian descent to voice Moana. In the meantime, hits hits such as Creed, Black Panther, and Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse reminded producers that non-Caucasian stars could attract mass audiences. Moonlight won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Mexican directors became Oscar regulars, and racism was the theme of The Help, 12 Years a Slave, Django Unchained, Selma, Green Book, Black Klansman, Harriet, and more. Don't know why Green Book is, um, is a part of those... Part of that list, don't want to go into it, but yeah, don't know why. <laughs> well, I kind of want to admit that, to be honest, but anyway, continue on. The Oscars might uh, not be so white from now on. Oh, oh, it will. Trust me, trust me on that, Mr. Barber. They will They will make doubly sure that it stays white. Trust me on that. <laughs> they won't do it unless they really, really have to. Anyway, uh, the next one is uh, The Future is Female. Uh, the Fall of Harvey Weinstein. Is it The Fall, though? And didn't he only have to pay, like, uh, 20 mil? Uh, that's a, that's a big that's a big L. That's a, that's a big L for the women, to be honest, and that's just a bit of a shame. Uh, I think they I think they originally expected like around ninety something like that in in that range, um, especially just under a hundred hundred mil. And uh, yeah, the fact that it went down to twenty five something like that, it's just that's a bit that's a bit sad. Anyway, the fall quote unquote of Harvey Weinstein co- coincided with the rise of B two and Time Up movement. Uh, but the campaigning that followed wasn't just about stopping sexual abuse in the film industry, but also addressing pay disparity, underrepresentation, and other insidious signs of institutional sexism. Before Weinstein's serial harassment was exposed, there was already a trend towards thrillers featuring action heroines rather than action heroes, such as Lucy, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and Hunger Games. After festivals, afterwards, festivals and studios promised to tip the balance between male and female-directed films closer to 50-50. Things are changing slowly, but they are changing. The Disney decade. Um, yeah, I'm just going to skip that because we, I've, I've talked about Disney Monopoly several times, and uh, we know they're going to take over the world. Uh, <laughs> superheroes rule the universe. Yeah, we know we know what that's about. Superheroes, superhero films. You know, it's um, 
And I, I think that, and I think personally that will um, die down a little bit next next decade. I don't think it's going to be as hyped up as the MCU has has, has been dominating in the past decade. But I think um, it'll still be prevalent, of, of course, it'll, especially on a blockbuster sense and be, stuff being shown in cinema. It's definitely going to be there. Um, I'll get to these. Uh, I'll get to two more. There are there are obviously a few, but um, I'll get to two. Uh, there's four more, and I'll get into two, and then I'll read the highlights of the other two. Uh, horror returns from the grave. Now, this is something I've, I, I, I don't really cr- like to credit. I don't know why, because I'm just not in horror films to be honest. But it's actually something worth think- worth thinking about and worth shouting out to be honest. So the 2000s were a fin- frighteningly bad decade for horror. Success of Saw and its annual sequels led to a spate of torture porn films, uh, which were more disgusting than scary. The Blair Witch Project was imitated by far too many found footage horror movies. And there were countless cheesy efforts to sell old characters to new audiences, e.g. Halloween Resurrection, Freddy vs. Jason, and Friday the 13th. In the 2010s, on the other hand, horror has been reborn as one of the only genres in which original dramas with provocative stories and bold concepts, or conceits, it says conceits here, but it should be concepts, uh, can be made on a reasonable budget, and go on to be embraced by critics and audiences alike. Prime examples, uh, Jordan Peele's Get Out and Us, Ari Aster's Hereditary and Miss, uh, Midsummer, uh, Robert Eggers' The Witch and The Lighthouse, David Robert Mitchell, Mitchell's It Follows. Fucking hate It Follows. Sorry. <laughs> I was just a, I was just a, that was just an instinctive thought. <laughs> I just came out of my mouth. Hate It Follows. Uh, John Krasinski's A Quiet Place Jr., The Cornos, uh, Raw, and Jennifer Kent's The Babadook. And I fucking hate The Babadook as well. Fuck The Babadook. Oh my god, that, uh, fuck. Fuck that film. <laughs> Just don't call it an elevate horror. Uh, a snobbish term that has horror fans reaching for their sharp and wooden stakes. And the last one I'm going to talk about. Uh, romantic comedy's unhappy ending. Uh, whenever a film such as The Big Sick does moderately well, romantic comedy fans declare that the genre we love is back. But it's time for us to put that relationship behind us and move on with our lives. The rom-com flourished until the 1990s. Uh... Yeah, uh, it went sour in the 2000s and withered away in the 2010s. Briefly, it was supplanted by the romantic comedy and its female equivalent, in which falling for the one mattered less than hanging out with the gang, bridesmaids, this is the end, the world's end, but e- even these have faded. The fact is that comedy itself has dropped away, uh, dropped way down Hollywood's list of priorities. Back in 04, for instance, you could see Shaun the Dead, Team America, World Police, Mean Girls, Sideways, Anchorman and Dodgeball, Proof that the industry was serious about being funny. But the last decade has seen comedy actors such as Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn moving over to drama, and comedy directors pivoting to television, political docudrama, and superhero movies. In 2006, Anthony and Joe Russo made You, Me, and Dupree. In 2016, they made Captain America Civil War. I didn't even know that. That's brilliant. What a glow up that is. <laughs> I didn't even know they made You, Me, and Dupree. That is a glow up. Big up them. Fucking hell. Uh, that's not to say that Hollywood comedies aren't being produced anymore, they are. But the most noteworthy comedies of the past few years have been darker and weirder than the Will Ferrell variety and often shot far from the US. The Lobster, Anna Melissa, uh, Tony Erdman and Parasite will make you laugh but it will be an uneasy, nervous laugh. Uh, and the last two is uh, Stranger Than Fiction and uh, The End of the World as we know. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a few. And, um, you know, I think... Film has really changed a lot in the past, obviously, ten years, and uh, I think when uh, when I did my course, uh, my film and TV course, I feel like that um, it was more predicated. Now thinking about it, it was more predicated on history, on the history of um, on the history of film. Uh, we did like a few units on specific histories of film, um, which was highly highly you know, fascinating, there was a lot of stuff I didn't know, and still don't know, um, because most of it's gone out of my fucking head, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, they, 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 they harped on that a lot, but there were times when you could obviously do an essay on, on more contemporary works, and obviously create more contemporary works, um, but I'm just trying to think that nobody really did, you know, romantic comedies, um, not many people did, um, a few people did sci-fi stuff if they could afford it, um, or they just had the ambition to do it. Uh, but most people just stuck with doing, you know, kind of a mockumentary style, uh, mostly comedy, mostly just traditional dramas, because obviously that's what we 
you know, it's, it's easy to do that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of interesting thinking about how we created in those in those few years and what we created in those few years, and what people will be writing about in the next five to ten years. Um, now I write, I wrote about a lot of stuff, mainly about history, more th- less than uh, less than contemporary, to be honest. Um, but that's just because I felt like, you know, I learned something new and I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> that was just me. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting how people are going to write about the 2010s in terms of film cause, and, uh, and and TV as well. Yeah, you have to put them both together. Um, and uh, and also, if you want to add the 2010, uh, 2000s as well, and then, then that's just a whole different kettle of fish. But, um, yeah, man. 2010s, uh, 2010s has been been interesting, and I'm not gonna review right now, but uh, it's 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 been interesting. So, uh, but we'll leave it there, ladies and gentlemen. It's been most good. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, <sighs> I've kind of been subdued tonally, um, and that's uh, that was low key on purpose because I didn't want to like you know go off. To be honest, I didn't really, I didn't want to want to give that energy off. Um, but um, you know, like I said. All of this is what it is, and if you can change it, then do you do what you can, and if you don't care, you don't care. Um, and we we all have like, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> like empathy, uh, empathy tanks, and sometimes you know, sometimes that shit's left on E, because um, you know we care about certain things, and you don't have the time to care about other things. You know, I can care about Windrush if I want to. Um, but some people don't want to because they they care about something else or they don't care at all about anything. And, you know, that's their prerogative. But anyway, um, I'll leave it at that. From the Fifth Film Podcast Network, I'm Charlie Taylor. This has been Moss Good. Music, intro music is um, Too Much by Vanilla. Interlude music is Vista by Poldor. You can find all their music and, and their band camps uh, via the links uh, in the description. Shout out to Chill Hop Records for the ability to use this music. You can also find their account, uh, Bandcamp account, uh, on in the description below. And yeah, it's been a long week and uh, longer weeks <laughs> coming. But uh, for now, have a wonderful holiday, everybody. Um, have a happy Christmas and um, any other holiday that you celebrate and uh, well we'll talk about New Year next next episode but until then have a good week everybody I shall always try and do the same but until the next time take it easy ladies and gentlemen